I'm here with South Jersey Kings head coach Miles Taylor for episode four in the season finale of the South Jersey Kings manager show. Coach, how's it going today? The first in the day, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, as you alluded to, a tough weekend for you guys, uh, especially offensively. You guys are missing a few key pieces, but we'll get into that a little later. Uh the the big episode, the big positive for the weekend, you know, for you guys is right-hander Jason Hoops. Uh, he went over 18 innings of no hit ball over four over the last four starts, a streak that ended in game one of your division semifinal on Saturday. Uh, he gets the ball in game one, throws a 12 strikeout complete game shutout, walked only one batter. And with the way that he was performing on the mound the final month of the season, you know, how much confidence did it give you going into that game one, knowing that you had him as your starter? Well, you know you're going to get a win. Mm -hmm. You know you're walking away with at least one win that day. So it almost gives you the ability to kind of prepare for the second game because the way he was dialed in and locked in, nobody was touching him. Especially if you're gearing up for a first time, you're probably going to get blown away. And then you're thinking the second time, I'm going to get the fastball. I'll get the fastball. And then he drops a changeup or he drops a curveball on you, and now you're just guessing. Then it makes the fastball look like it's 98 to 100. So it's like you're you're screwed. Having a guy like Jason Hoops really gives your players enough confidence to where even if you're not hitting, all you got to do is get one. You get one, and you're going to win the game. And, and that's what that that was the mindset after the fifth inning. We all kept telling each other, just play for one. Play for one. Stosh got us that one run, and that was the road. Yeah, and obviously we'll, we'll get into that huge home run by Stosh uh, in a few minutes. But the curveball I really saw was working for Jason that outing. You know, he's painting the outside of the zone. I uh, got a ton of swing and misses from it. You know, what else, as you just alluded to, was going for the right-hander besides this curveball? Because you said his fastball was working as well. Uh, I would say his changeup, his changeup, when it stayed at the bottom half of the zone, uh, it was it was pretty much deadly. Like he was getting, was getting. And, you know, Coach, now now talking uh, at the plate, you guys are struggled to drive runners in all weekend long, you know, eight in game one, six in game two, uh, 12 in game three. Uh, last week you talked about the guys just having to focus more on their approach with runners in scoring position and trying not to be the hero. Is that, you know, what you would chalk up to being the, the big reason that you guys had those struggles with runners in scoring position this weekend, last weekend? Yes, and also the fact that, we we didn't we took other teams lightly, I would say. I would say we took other pitchers lightly and we were trying to to as per usual do too much at the plate. Like instead of put a runner on third and less than two outs, instead of hitting a routine ground ball to second base or the shortstop to get the run in, most of the time we're trying to hit 
that deep fly ball because it looks cooler and because we potentially could go out the park instead of just getting the guy in, getting the runner in, doing the little things. I don't think we did the little things enough, and I don't think I preached it enough to our guys that the little things mattered so much, especially in, in playoff baseball, because in game two, if we did the little things right, we would have won that game. There would have never been a game three, and we'd be playing in Quakertown today. But I'll, I'll blame that on myself. I'll chalk that as, you know, a life lesson to just focus on the little things a lot more than our own pro- personal goals. So that's a definitely a learning experience for myself. And I told the guys that at the end of our Bergen series on Sunday night is that we got to pay more attention to detail more attention to detail. And, you know, going back to game one, uh, Stosh Pekoski, as we mentioned, provided all the offense with the go-ahead solo shot. You guys end up winning one nothing with a home run in the seventh inning. Uh, you know, even he admitted he'd been struggling all summer long, but comes up with the biggest hit of the season to that point. Uh, he ended up tallying hits in all three of the playoff games. Uh, what can a home run do like that to a player's confidence, especially the one that's been struggling like Stosh? Oh, sky high. Sky high, especially if, if I'm the only one that that produced the only RBI of the game against somebody that's been mowing down the lineup pretty much the entire day, it, it, it skyrocket your confidence. Skyrocket. So for Stosh, that was big because, you know, he has been struggling. He has been struggling, and he knows it. He knows what type of player he is, so for him to come out and struggle – it's very frustrating for him, for me, for, for anybody. So I know his, his confidence was through the roof after hitting that home run. And that carried over into the next day. His, his, his A-B's got a lot better. Um, he's more of a force at the plate. And he's making solid contact every time at the plate. So, you know, it's kind of through the roof after that so you guys get the win in game one, one nothing. And I know nobody wanted to go back to Bergen for a potential game three. You know, it's not a, not a short drive from South Jersey, uh, other side of the right. state. Uh, so you guys had a 4-2 lead going into the second half of the game in game two. Uh, was there a sense in the dugout that you guys felt like, you know, you were really close to wrapping the series up? Oh, easily. Easily. I was like, they're defeated. After when in our game two pregame talk, I said, Jason Hoops literally just defeated their confidence. Like, they are so upset on the other side that they're desperate for a win, but after a certain point in this game, they're just going to give up if they don't think they have a shot. I said, if we just don't even let them believe that they have a shot, they will give up halfway through this game. But we didn't, we didn't close the door. We didn't close the door. We left it open. We let them have one foot in and one foot out. And then we invited them in to take the lead. And, you know, that's what happened. Yeah, so Joey Rappaport gets to start in game two. He exits with the 4-2 lead. Uh, then Mateo Gravano and Kevin O'Panel come in relief after him. Uh, and they weren't able to get the job done. You guys end up losing uh, the lead in the sixth inning, lose 9-5. to five. Uh, What do you think led to Gravano and Panel's tough outings in that game too? Uh, lack of fastball control. 
Uh, Mateo and Kev can really light up the radar. Um, and when they're when they're in the strike zone, they're unhittable. O'Panel gets nothing but ground balls, nothing but ground balls, because his ball moves a lot, and his fastball placement is usually at the bottom half of the zone. So he's going to get nothing but ground balls. Mateo throws a little bit harder than O'Panel, and when his fastball is in the zone and he's confident, he can almost tell you what he's throwing, and he has he has all confidence that he's going to get you out. So I think when, when their fastball placement wasn't good, that their confidence started to dwindle a little bit, and it tried to make them work harder instead of, you know, trying to simplify the game and just be competitive and try to get as many outs as possible instead of trying to strike everybody out. Try to simplify, try and slow things down a little bit. And I think they that that got away from them a little bit. Um, and it was just unfortunate because – They've been pretty much lights out all year. So it was unfortunate, but it happens. So then on to the next day, you guys head up to Bergen for a game three. Uh, you don't have your usual starting lineup with you. You know, notably absent is team home run leader Chris Baker from not only game three, but games one and two as well. And you guys don't have uh, team batting average leader Matt Shepard for game two or game three as well. Uh, how, how much do you think not having those guys hurt you throughout the series? Uh, hurts a lot. Hurts a lot. Those are two guys that you just can't replace. In the beginning of the year, Shepard comes on and he's struggling, but he knows what he's capable of. And then he just shows you he's getting multi hits in every game. He's just a tough out, complete tough out. And then Baker, Baker has been on a roll, on a tear all year long, all summer long. He's another tough out, can hit to all fields, power to all fields. So not having those two guys in the lineup, guys will look around and be like, wow, we don't have big, we don't have step. You know, those guys are going to be a tough out every AB. So with not having them in the lineup definitely hurts a lot. So then up in Bergen for game three, lefty Chase Cooper gets to start. You know, he's rolling, goes, I think, the first four innings without giving up a hit. Or the first, sorry, I think almost six innings without giving up a hit. Uh, you know, but in that fifth inning, after he gave up uh, his first hit, you know, started to unravel a little bit, gives up a three-run home run to all-star Michael Taylor. Uh, what was the thought process, you know, once you started to see that he was tiring a little bit, gave up a few hits, what was the thought process in deciding to keep Cooper in for that lefty-righty matchup with Taylor in the sixth inning? Uh, it, it was. It's funny you even asked that. It's funny you asked that. So he, he gets through the first five. And the only person that's had solid contact off him is Michael Taylor. And mm. his first two ABs, he had flyouts. They weren't really hard, but they were the best contact that their team has had all day. And, you know, he gives up a, a bloop single to start the inning, and then he gives up a walk. So I'm like, with two outs, we could either go to Sulpizio, um, or we can stick with Cooper. And I'm like, the, the guy's rolling. He just gave up his first hit. He's rolling. He's confident. We went out and talked. And he wanted the baseball. Mm -hmm. He wanted the ball. And I'll live and die with guys that want the baseball. You know, even if it bites me in the butt at the end of the day, I can live with the guy that is determined that he wants to compete and that he doesn't want to come out the game 
because he wants that. He wants that guy. He knows that's the guy that's got him all day. He wants to get that guy out. He wants to get his team fired up. And, you know, Michael Taylor, he's kid's a stud. Kid's a really good ball player. And he just he, – he hung a, a change up, and Taylor paid him. Taylor made him pay for it. So, you know, those are just pitching decisions that, you know, you wish you can get back. But I'm not losing sleep over, over not going to Spazio instead of Cooper because Cooper was rolling. And he wanted the baseball, so I can live with that. And just re- rewinding a little bit, uh, you guys scored two runs early in that one. Uh, what was the energy like in the dugout after taking that early 2 nothing lead? Uh, everybody was fired up. Everybody was fired up. I think I had two Red Bulls going into the game because <laughs> of that drive and just to, to make sure I was pumped up for the game. So I'm bouncing off the walls before the game's even going. And guys will feed off your energy as a coach like that. So guys are fired up. Jared's been probably arguably our best player all year for all summer. And he gets a two-run, two-out double. And I've been preaching two-out hits. Mm-hmm. We'll get guys a scoring position and two outs, and we just can't get it done. So Jared gets a two-out, two-out double over the center fielder's head, and everybody's pumped up. Everybody's ready to go. And you can see on the other side, like, they – they felt like, oh, here we go again. South Jersey Kings are going to get hot, and this game's going to get away from us before we even get started. And, you know, that was everybody's mindset on on the other side and on our side. But we just couldn't close the door, man. We couldn't close the door. Yeah, and then you guys, you know, had a chance to come back in this one. Multiple opportunities. The biggest one being in the bottom of the eighth inning. You're down 5-2. to two, Runners on first and second. No outs but you're not able to cut into the Bergen Metro's lead. Uh, take me through that bottom of the eighth inning and, you know, how frustrating it is, is it as a coach to come out of that inning still down by three runs? Yeah, so they brought in they brought in almost a three-quarter guy who's throwing about 87, 89, and he has a really good hook. Kid's really good, really good pitcher, and I haven't seen Bergen use him uh, this summer. Um, and he was really tough to hit, so he walked stars. He he actually hits Stosh on a one-two count, and then Chase gets on with the uh, single to right. So now, you know, I, have, I call an offensive timeout. I want to try and pull their third baseman in and see if we can squeak one through the infield on a slash with Ryan Taylor. And their pitcher ends up throwing two balls. Uh, so he gets to a 2-0 count. I take Taylor off. I let him swing. He throws a, a fastball on the outer half. He lets that go for a strike. Gets to a 3-1 count. And then their pitcher threw two fastballs by him. And that gives us gives them the first out. But I'm like, you know, we still we still could be sitting pretty. Shane Adamski is up next. And this kid flies. And their third baseman is almost playing at the edge of the outfield grass. So I'm like, if Shane puts down even a remotely good bunt, He's going to walk in the first. Chase going to be safe to second. And Stoss going to be safe to third. They're not going to have a play. So Shane puts down a, a bunt. The bunt goes in the air for a little bit. And Stosh hesitated, which allowed their catcher to just pick the ball up and throw him out by about five to ten feet at third base. And it, 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 it blew the inning. It, it took the life out of us. Jared goes up there, 
and strikes out to end the inning. And they had all the momentum. After they after we get that bunt down and you get the leadoff runner, you get the lead runner, it's the the energy's gone. Unless Jared hits a three run homer and plays hero ball there, the energy's non existent there. So I think that kind of killed everything with the strikeout and then getting thrown out at third. I think that was just, you know, the ending to our summer. And, you know, this this team showed fight all the way to the end. You know, they even started off the ninth with a leadoff single, but you guys end up falling short, losing in the division championship series or division semifinal series, uh, six to two in game three. What do you tell your tell your guys after that game three loss? That you know, with with as much talent on the team, we under we underachieved this summer. Uh, that I really liked and appreciated the guys that stuck it out, and you know showed up to every game and guys that wanted to be there. But I also told them that you know, talent can only take you so far. We've done a lot of stupid mental mistakes that can't happen at their four year if they're trying to get a starting job or they're trying to keep their starting job and that they they need to become smarter baseball players because the talent for for this team was clearly there mm-hmm. talent wise we had the most talent around the league and I'll say that with the utmost confidence we were the most talented team but we we lacked mental awareness and we just we just couldn't get it done uh, when needed to be done. We would always get the nice two out, two out double, two out single with nobody on base. And we also lack mental toughness of just wanting to be there, being in difficult situations and grinding through it. We didn't have it from one through nine. We had a few guys that could do it. Everybody on the team couldn't. And you know, guys, that they're going to be It's really stressful. It's really tough. You're not having your best day, and you find a way to win. That's what being a competitor is all about. So, I told guys, hey, they're going to have to tap into a different, different level of intensity, different level of mental focus, uh, if they're going to want to be successful at this game because. This game can humble you in a quick second. Talent only takes you so far. And guys accepted it, and you know, I wish them all luck at their their four-year schools. And, you know, now looking at the season in review, who are some of the hitters and some of the pitchers that impressed you the most? Jason Hoops, for sure. Because after his first outing, he he's had nothing but great outings since. Uh, Chris Baker being a, a early add-on to the Kings roster and just lighting it up from the very first from the very first day and myself and Dewey included were like we we can't let this guy go at all mm-hmm. like we, we just can't and I will say Jared Pekroski, uh coming in as a, a high school senior we I mean, we all know Jared was really good in high school, but how's that going to translate to a Woodback collegiate league with guys that, you know, know how to pitch, not just throw 90 over the plate, but can spot up 90. And, you know, he really impresses. 
really impressed me probably the most coming out of high school and being able to do the things he was doing right out of the gate was really impressive. So I know he's going to, his game's going to translate well to the college level and he's going to be really good at Penn next year. And let's end on this. You know, you came into the season not expecting to take on the role of head coach, uh, but once you stepped in for Dewey, uh, everything clicked for this team. Uh, what memories will you take from your time managing this group of guys over the course of the summer? Oh, man, all the laughs, all the jokes, uh, uh, the win streak for sure. The win streak probably the most because of how confident everybody was in the dugout. Whether we went down or whether we were up by maybe a run, everybody was confident that we would win. Mm-hmm. No matter what, no matter how it got done, everybody knew we were going to win. So when we lost, it was like, oh, my God, it actually happened. So that'll probably be the biggest memory of mine, but definitely the last. So that was always fun to to just be a part of. And that's what it's all about. You met before and they're leaving. And, you know, they're becoming lifelong friends. So it's really cool, really cool to witness that. And this concludes the season finale of the South Jersey Kings Manager Show featuring our very own head coach, Miles Taylor. Coach, your team earned the number two seed in the playoffs, finished the regular season nine games over 500. And since stepping in as the head coach, uh, your team Im- immediately went on the 12-game win streak, as you were talking about. They went 19-4-1 overall. Uh, making you possibly the greatest interim manager in the history of baseball. Who knows? But, you know, it's been a great ride, and <laughs> all good things must come to an end. So it's been great talking to you each week for the last few weeks, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate doing this with you. I really appreciate you with me. I know Maryland's lucky to have you, man. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Coach.